Hey everyone, if you want to see the mod file in action, well now you can. Here's some upcoming dates. From Saturday the 5th of May to Monday the 7th of May, I'll be at Alexandra Palace for Progress Wrestling Super Strong Style 16. Tickets still available at alexandrapaliceevents.ctickets.com. On Friday 11th of May, I'll be at the Atterborough Arts Centre, Lancaster Road, Leicester for Pro Wrestling Resurgence. Tickets available at ukpatronbase.com. On Sunday, the May the 13th, I'll be at the Cockpit Theatre, London for Revolution Pro Wrestling. Tickets available for Revolution Pro Wrestling. On Sunday, May 20th, I'll be at the Victoria Warehouse for once again Progress Wrestling. Tickets available, Progress Wrestling. On Saturday, 26th of May, I'll be at the Frog and Fiddle Cheltenham for Attack Pro Wrestling. Tickets available, attackprowrestling.bigcartel.com. And on Sunday, the 27th of May, I'll be at the Electric Ballroom, Camden, England, for Progress Wrestling. Tickets available, progresswrestling.com. So please be sure to come out, support myself, and the wrestling boys and girls of British Wrestling, as each week we tear it apart. Hey everyone and welcome to yet another episode of Morgan Webster's Wrestling Friends. I guess, I guess if you're an avid listener that you probably know the sound of this voice. And of course it is the undisputed king of the mods, the mod father himself, Flash Morgan Webster. Or more importantly than that, for the next 45 minutes to the hour, to the hour and a half, you know this bit. I'll be your host, or as I like to say it, facilitator for all these chats, discussions, gatherings, you know me. I absolutely adore that word, Gavrins. And most of the time, it's with your wrestling favourites, or as I like to call them on the podcast, is aptly named My Wrestling Friends. See, um, this is the part where I usually turn and say that this podcast comes to you free of charge every Wednesday on most of your outlets, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. That's where I usually say all that stuff. But I'd be lying if I said that, because today is, of course, Thursday. And the reason I've done this is it's a big... It's a big week in the uh, British Independent Diary, British Independent Wrestling Diary, and that's because it's Super Strong Style Week, and I know that a lot of you will be driving or will be coming on the train on the Friday or the Saturday. We've got Riptide as well. We've got Fight Club Pro. A lot of shows happening on the weekend, and I know that a lot of you probably would have ended up listening to this on the Wednesday or the Thursday, and I thought, well, you know what? One of my biggest gripes is when I have a brand new podcast. Is usually Scooby's Pips Big Fan, Scooby's Pips Distraction Pieces podcast. But usually that will drop. I'll tell myself I'm going to wait till the weekend till I've got to drive somewhere. And then I'll end up listening to it in the house while I'm doing some uh, some paperwork or some cleaning or some washing my gear or something like that. And then be so annoyed at myself. So I've decided I would push it back a day in the hope that you guys will have something lovely to listen to on the way to Super Strong Style 16 or Fight Club. Or Riptide, because as I said, it's a big, big weekend. So yeah, this podcast does usually come to you every Wednesday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, all them stuff. I am looking at Spotify, that's another thing. I heard somebody on the radio today talking about putting uh, podcasts on Spotify. So if anyone knows how to do that, maybe drop me a line on the email that I'll give a shout out in a second. Um, Because I'm quite lazy, I probably should look into it. But if you guys could send me the information on that, that'd be great. 
on the uh, on the email I'm going to drop in a bit. But yeah, it usually does come to uh, you free charge most Wednesdays. Today is Thursday. And we're able to do that in part thanks to our sponsor, which is pinsandknucklesmerchandise.com. Tom, Shannon, Dan, Pete, all of them are doing a great job over there. They have some of the best, they have some of the best deals around. If you're a band looking for drum skins, if you're looking for caps, if you're looking for big flags, if you're looking for t-shirts, stickers, any of that stuff, they really are good. They've got a seven-day turnaround. And the majority of the time as well, I know a lot of people go to awesomemerch.com and to be fair, nine or ten times they can beat their pricing. So if you are looking for a great place to get any of that stuff, then definitely go check out pinsandknucklesmerchandise.com. Of course, if that's not really your bag, you're not into any of that stuff, you you don't have a band or you're not a wrestler or you're not looking for any of that sort of stuff to get done on a mass quantity, but you are looking to support the podcast, then of course you can head over to morganwebster.bigartel.com. By now I should have restocked the uh, the Scooter Mayhem the Intrepid Traveller, whatever you want to call them, t-shirts, they've been going like fire. I took them out to Bola, I took them out to Peter Ruggi, and people, when he said Bola then, people, I took them out to Peter Ruggi, and people just had loads of them, but yeah, I've got them restocked, ready for Alexander Palace on the weekend, and I've also got them restocked, because a lot of people were asking as well online, if I was going to restock them, and I have, because you guys keep on buying it, so definitely keep your eyes peeled, Alexander Palace, and online for them, but yeah, mogawebs.bigartel.com, go grab those, go grab whatever else is on there, if you want to support this podcast, this is episode what, 76. So yeah, been over nearly, it's been nearly two years. So maybe it's time you did go and help us out. If you can, if you can't afford to, don't worry about it. But of course, if you can't afford to, then maybe give me a cheeky shout out on the social media. Just let me know you're listening. Because to be fair, the listeners go up every single week. So you are listening, you're enjoying, you must be, you're coming back every week. But maybe let everyone else know that you're doing it. And the best way to do that is to uh, shout about the social media. I'm at Flash underscore Morgan on the Twitter. I'm Facebook.com forward slash Flash Morgan Webster on the Facebook. I'm at Flash Morgan Webster on the Instagram. Or if you want to drop me a little discreet email, if you want to book me for any any upcoming seminars, gigs, anything like that, or maybe you want to tell me how to get this uh, lovely podcast onto Spotify, then all that can be done at flashmorgan.live.co.uk. Again, that email is flashmorgan.live.co.uk. But yeah, I love seeing all that stuff. So please keep on coming, people. This week's guest is James Musselwhite. I said a couple of episodes ago when I got Matt on that I'm not just going to be doing wrestlers. These are people I've met through the wrestling industry and people who have had a really big part in the rise of British wrestling. And James is definitely somebody who's done that through his lovely promos he did with Marty Skull that are currently being used for Ring of Honor to those lovely artwork that he did with Jimmy Havoc. His portrait level up the game of everybody else's and everyone else that you know, likes of... Turning Face, Ringside Perspective, Beyond Gorilla, they all saw that and they all got involved. And they and he kind of made it possible. Everyone else saw, well, these are the standards now that everyone sets. And everyone just keeps on reaching and trying to get better. And he gets better every time. And for anyone who's not involved in British wrestling and you're looking on the outside in, it just makes everything look so good. I put a tweet out the other day as well about how I like to support all my uh, photographer friends by not cropping stuff out. I'm a big believer of that. I am. The reason that the British wrestling scene is doing so well, well, one of the reasons anyway, is because of great photography. Because people on the outside, as I said, looking in, just see what we're doing. It looks amazing. It looks professional. And that's thanks to people like James Musselwhite. So he's somebody that I want to get on the show. And it's a great, great podcast. We sit and chat for about an hour and a half. It doesn't drag. 
it flies by. We literally just finished doing a photo shoot as well, which will keep your eyes peeled. You'll see a lot more of those photos in the coming weeks. I'll definitely get some of those printed out as well for some limited edition prints. But yeah, we sit down, we chat about it all. We we chat in depth about being a fan of wrestling, falling out of love of wrestling, kind of fighting it again thanks to the CM Punk era, and then how he came to this world of wrestling for one reason and has stayed for many, many others. And it's a really interesting chat. It's really, really good. And yeah, I don't think I need to sell anymore. But yeah, I took this uh, when I did this. Where did I do this? I went on a Thursday and did this travel down. So I'd been back from uh, LA for a couple of days. So yeah, I drove down on the Thursday. Portsmouth lovely. It was a great little drive down there. Let's do a lot of podcasts, a lot of Joe Rogan I was listening to on the way up and the way down. But yeah, I did that on a Thursday, came back up. Went down there to Battle Pro, where myself and JJ Lynch teamed up against Nathan Cruz and Kafka. And it was a lot of fun, that match. And there was a, a little moment as well in the Rumble, when the Wild Ball came out and the 198 were the first time ever being seen in London. The 198 did that and we got a 1-8 chant. And apparently we're being brought back to Battle Pro just off that little bit in the Rumble. So I think it got its job done. So that was Battle Pro on the Friday and then on the Saturday then I was at Pro Wrestling Chaos where I took on Bane, had a lot of fun down there, and caused a lot of, uh, for lack of a better word, chaos with the Brotherhood. Things are just starting to uh, heat up down there. If you loved my run as a heel, trust me, it's going to be a lot more chaotic now that I have all the fans behind me. So yeah, that was a lot of fun at Pro Wrestling Chaos. And uh, then on the Sunday, I had a rare Sunday off, which was good because they meant I got in the gym, meant I got stretching off. I'm still working on some rotator cuff exercise at the moment, um, found that my rotator cuff has been getting very stiff recently and very, very, my flexibility isn't there. So I've been working on that quite a bit and doing a lot of wall walks, which a lot of you on Instagram would have seen. But yeah, that was my uh, my week in review. And I guess this brings us now to Thursday. So yeah, I guess all that's left to say really, because that is my week in review, is uh, sit back, relax and enjoy what is a wonderful conversation with uh, James Musselwhite. Also, he uh, kind of explained to me what a cold start is, and I'm definitely, definitely going to be using them from now on. Enjoy, people. <laughs> this is cold. Do you, do you do a cold open? Well, apparently not. <laughs> apparently, I'm no. But I didn't even. I didn't even. It's, I love how these. I love how these podcasts is me completely learning every every day, and it's because I never plan on being a a, a podcaster. Yeah. No. Well, yeah, but you're good at it. I'd say. I just, I'd, I'd say yours Yours are some of the most listenable. I just think it's because I've always been interested in... I always like... One, I like the sound of my own voice. And two, um, <laughs> and two, I think it's just because a lot of people, I think, think it's really easy. And I listened to my first couple of ones and didn't like them. So... What would you change about your first couple of ones then? What would you... Would you... Is it research. Way, oh, really? I never, ever researched anyone. I would just thought I was very clever when I could just... <laughs> And I could just do it. And then I, I realised very quickly after a Dave Mastiff episode that there was loads I should have talked about. Didn't talk about boot camp at all with Dave Mastiff. Really? And, and after that, then I realised I've got to do research on everybody I do. And they've got to go there with a list and a script. Dave's great, though. Yeah, he is. He's great. He's fun. He yeah. is great. But uh, I joined it today by James Musselwhite. There so, you go. So I, do, uh, I, might, I might adopt this cold. I might adopt this cold. <laughs> I, like well, I like What I like about Dave is that he's just one of those characters that... As soon as he comes to a ring, like, a six-year-old knows what he's about. It's traditional old-school sort of like, yeah, okay, I understand. Just from the moment he comes through that curtain, 
that's what's that's what's so great about him and so many of the guys in the British scene, you know. Well, uh, I, I remember speaking to John from Gresham, and Gresham's still hands down one of the best uh, seminars I ever did, and he said that uh, within the first thirty seconds of an audience seeing you, they will make their assumption of who you are and what you are. Oh wow! And it's up to you whether you embrace that um, assumption or whether you shatter it in the first thirty seconds. It's an interesting way of looking at it. And I, and he said that, and I, he said this uh, when he was talking to Chris Brooks, and he was like. John Fograsham comes to the ring he moves around a lot and then he'll do the head nip into the ring because he's a small wrestler and he's and that, and that he puts it across straight away and I always kind of kind of just stuck it with me that is I like Gresham he's a good athlete and he's uh, yeah stories told with him quite early on I think mm, anyway I really like him but as I'm doing today by uh, James Mosswhite we've just gone out and done a uh, a shoot in Sweden in Sweden, in Sweden, yeah, we did a shoot in Portsmouth. Portsmouth's lovely. It's all right. It's like it's a. I think I always think of Portsmouth as like a tale of two cities in terms of you've got traditional Portsmouth and then you've got South Sea. Um, South Sea's right on the south coast, and it's full of like lots of cute little, as you've seen, cute little cafes, coffee shops, vinyl shops, bars, restaurants, artsy. A little artsy, you know, it gets more and more artsy every year, you know, and then you've you've got pretty much the city of Portsmouth sort of north of that, so, um, yeah, I, I, I like it down here, I like anywhere down by the sea, I don't think I've ever lived more than five minutes away from the sea. How do you live longer? Huh? Do you know you live longer if you live by big bodies of water? It's, 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 it's scientifically proven. <laughs> it's science. It is, apparently, <laughs> apparently, statistically, if you live by large bodies of water, you live longer. Well then, I'm looking forward to uh, a long life. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> this would be ironic. <laughs> if this goes out in tragedy. Oh, no, this is not. It's not Touch wood. It's not. Uh, how I usually like to start these then, James, is um, again. I did. I did uh, Matt Attard the other week, and he was an interesting one because usually when you talk to wrestlers, mm. and you'll turn and say to a wrestler, "Oh, what, what got you involved with wrestling? When did you fall in love with wrestling?" Because People do have to fall in love with wrestling for them to become wrestlers nine or ten times. Haven't met one yet that uh, that hasn't happened with. But with Matt, I know that he fell in love with music and then his music kind of interlaced with wrestling because of Mark. Now, I don't know whether you have always been a fan of wrestling mm-hmm. or whether you've become a fan because, again, like you, photography is mixes way. So have you always been a fan of wrestling? Well, I... I grew up in the... I suppose I grew up in the 80s, and I, I do have early memories of World of Sport, but not actual sort of, like, concrete ones, and I never was obsessed by it around about then. I remember being obsessed around... One of my earliest memories is my friend Ben coming to school and saying, Hulk Hogan lost the title last night because Ric Flair interfered with the chair and now Undertaker's... The champion. The champion. And he was, like, devastated by that. And I was just... I remember hearing these names. Because like, I knew who Hulk Hogan was from the cartoon. But then The Undertaker, oh, wow. You know, like, and it really, like, evoked images in my head, I suppose, of, like, what that was. So I used to watch a little bit around his house because he was the only one who had Sky of my mates because it cost quite a bit back then, back in the early 90s. And then I just sort of fell away from it in my teenage years. And I remember coming home, 1990... I want to say seven or six. It's one of the King of the Ring that had Triple H and Mankind in the final. Okay. When you go back and look at it, it's not, it's not the greatest match, certainly between those two. But I remember coming home from a nightclub, three in the morning, putting on Sky, and... Or would it have been Channel 4? 
No, it wasn't. It was when it was we had a, we had an old digital box, old NTL box. Okay. Channel Four, I think, carried about three pay per views. One of them was Royal Rumble. It was. Yeah. Um, and it was. T- I remember when Channel Four went to adverts during the middle of a rock promo. You remember that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the rock promo, the one thing that you're actually there going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to... And they just immediately assumed, oh, it's between the matches, so we'll just cut to adverts now. I can't... That, that just, that's crazy to think, isn't it? They, there would be... There'd be adverts in the pay-per-view. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah, obviously they just picked and choose, and they, and they I assume they assumed that it was like, you know, three o'clock in the morning, who's watching, who cares? But, yeah, no, I went back and watched that match, and Mick, Mick Foley Mankind was selling his neck so much that I was just thinking... I, I mean, I just and, and it ended with like China hitting him over the head with the with the scepter and with the crown and really attacking him. And he'd been selling the neck all match. And I was just, I ended that match and I was like, I've got to find out if he's all right. Oh my and god! And of course, at the end of the thing, it says tune in on Monday Night Raw to see what happens. It's like, oh, it's on tomorrow night. Okay, cool. Well, I'll find that. I'll stay up for it. And then watched it and never st- for that period. Because you you into that period, you go into the Stone Cold era. You into the actors, the yeah. Heart, the, the Heart Foundation era you know Heart Foundation versus the US I just loved that whole thing Canadian Stampede stayed up one night to watch that you know the the 10 man tag just one of the best things I still go back and watch it you know that moment where the hard cam shakes yeah when Brett's attacking Steve and it's just I was just I just fell in love with the characters fell in love with the theatre fell in love with the drama the soap opera element to it the danger the danger, yeah, yeah. The fact that it that it always left you on a cliffhanger. What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next week? Because back in those days, of course, Raw would just cut. Do you remember when at the end of Raw it would just it would just cut? I remember it cut once when like the Undertaker's bell sounded, the the dong sounded, but they didn't have they didn't have TV time to show it because the show had overrun. It's like oh, I got to find out what happens next week, <laughs> you know <laughs> that kind of thing. So and I just stuck with it through till about well through till now, I guess. You've literally been never dropped out of it again. Dropped out middle in the in the middle of the two thousands, I guess, when I was working really hard on my photography, and I didn't have a lot of spare time. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't have access to Sky then either because I'm just sort of rented accommodation and the internet wasn't, you know, what it is now. So I guess the end of it would have been, as we alluded to earlier, Royal Rumble two thousand and six, when I went to Miami to watch that, watched Ray win the Royal Rumble, and then just kind of fell out of it. I guess until I got involved in the UK scene, which was 2014. So, in that time space, then from 2006 to when you got involved, which mm. was when 2000. Uh, when I started shooting, yeah, uh, 2014 was when I first started shooting wrestlers. In wrestlers, the UK. but you had no interest, or you didn't even. I, I, my, I, my interest completely waned until Punk cut the whoa, Punk cut the pipe bomb. Yeah. And then and I got online and I'm like, what's this about? Oh wow, this guy looks cool. Oh, what's going to happen? Money in the bank. Ordered that on pay per view to watch it. Yeah, and then stayed up. Got really into CM Punk. Loved the ending of that match. Oh mate, it's one of my favourites. Felt he should have been away for three months. He should have been away. He should have been away from that company for three to six months, doing things on their on their dime, obviously, but doing things around the world and turning up at things and showing up in the crowd. And you remember when he showed up at Comic Con? Yeah, and address Triple H from the panel, stuff like that. And they and but I I feel they got cold feet on it. I think as well though. I think it was because it happened so close to SummerSlam, and they needed a SummerSlam headliner. So maybe if it had happened the show after WrestleMania, maybe then they could have had a big long build up to SummerSlam to the return. But they needed a, a build for SummerSlam potentially. But I think like the I think the the. 
I think the storyline of having two champions is, is was one that could have run and run. Yeah, particularly he, with those two, and like you've got enough talent within that company to keep everyone happy. I think I just sometimes um, you need to take a risk with things to be creative. I think. But then again, I always say that there's so many outside sources that we don't know that's going on and running within WWE and other promotions that we we never really know, do we? Yeah, you don't know. But yeah, no, I think and so it was literally CM Punk cut, uh, and I used to, I used to watch that promo back and back. And the stuff he said in it was how I felt about photography at the time in terms of other people within the industry achieving success and myself being sort of overlooked, I suppose. And, uh, you know, that's all that's all on me. That's not anyone else's fault. Um, but I just it was just a motivational thing for me. I've got a watercolour of him downstairs signed by um, Rob Schamberger, the guy who now works for WWE painting all their superstars. And um, I looked at that every day and just thought, okay, be like, you know, take a CM Punk attitude to things today. If they're not going to give it to you, go and take it. And that's almost the, the starting point of, you know, taking pictures of wrestlers. See, I think that's crazy because, like, to me, I would have been so submerged and involved in wrestling at this point that I would have just saw that, and I still do, I guess you've said it now and it's really opened my mind. I would have saw it as a, as a wrestling promo. And mm-hmm. I would have gone, what a great wrestling promo. Mm-hmm. But you're saying it now and you're almost going like, you being a non-wrestling fan or someone who was a wrestling fan and fell out of it, here's a guy who I relate to completely who's talking about his frustrations within a company, frustrations that now I'm looking and going, Christ, there's bound to be millions of people who are in jobs that they don't like to be in, feeling like they didn't get that promotion, feeling that they didn't get that, that salary increase. And I, I sometimes you can be so far in that bubble that you completely miss what the rest of the world is seeing in someone. And you saying that now is just maybe go, oh yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't these people be intrigued in CM Punk? Why wouldn't they be interested in who he is and what he is? And, and, uh, unquestionably, you, you don't know how many blue-collar workers got inspired by Stone Cold Steve Austin. In well, when people say this, and I too understand, I understand I, and I guess because I wasn't, a, I wasn't a wrestler at that point, I was a fan, and when people then explained to me, oh, you know, he was the everyman... Maybe because I was so far into wrestling at that point, I overlooked Punk's influence to the everyman. Mm. Because I just saw him as a worker and I saw him as a wrestler. I mean, it was unquestionably, I mean, it wasn't, there, there was no real grey area for me in terms of watching it with, with your sensible head on. He made enough references in that promo for you to know that it was very well done in terms from a corporate standpoint. He pushed the pay per view, he pushed the match. Yeah. He pushed everything that was, you have to buy this, you have to see this. In Chicago, on this day, I'm wrestling for this. You know, all those little bombs were put in there, but there were little bits, there were little truth bombs in there and a little license that he was given and just, you could see the way he was getting worked up and the way that he can deliver a promo anyway. It just seems like it comes from the heart every time. It just, and like I say, it just, it really motivated me. Really did, you know, in terms of like, just taking that little bit of attitude into your everyday work, not suddenly deciding that you're going to become a punk and go straight edge and <laughs> you know start 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 GTSing everyone, but just that little bit of attitude of like, okay, well you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to go and take it. You're not gonna you're not gonna notice me, I'm going to make you notice. That whole line from the second promo, do I have everybody's attention right now? That's all I aspire to to want to be, you know, to want to want to achieve with it. Do I have your attention now with what I'm going to do? And it took me a few years, but you know, eventually get to that point. So, to take it back a little bit, um, 
when did you kind of like fall in love with photography then? Let's talk about that because you are a photographer, of course. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Eight years old, going through family holiday snaps and I saw a picture of my granddad in a pub. Um, and it just, the character from this photo, which I can describe in perfect, absolutely perfect detail, it's just, he's looking directly into the camera and everything about him is it says something about him. So you could look at it and just say, it was just a photo of a man eating his meal in a pub, right? He's in a pub, which is his normal setting. Like he'd always walk the dog. I remember this. He he used to tell me this. He said, I'd always walk the dog, but it'd be about a two hour walk and an hour of it would be in the pub, (laughs) you know, just to get away sort of thing. And he's got this pressed white collared short sleeve shirt on, which was super important to me because there wasn't a crease on it because he always dressed for dinner. Always made, even my on grand, holiday. Yeah, my granddad used to too. Always made sure he looked smart. His arms are tanned because he worked outside. Okay, um, his watch is on the inside of his wrist because he always wore it like that because he was a workman. He used to work on engineering on the airfields. If you wore your watch the other way, it would get scratched. So he always used to wear it like that. He was eating ribs, which was his super, you know, favorite meal. And his eyes are just looking straight towards me, straight into the camera, and it's just everything everything I loved about him was in that picture and it told a story so at that age I just thought well that's what I want to see not these hundreds of other pictures of like the beach and or... cut out heads yeah, <laughs> cut out heads and people like, miles away in the distance and all that sort of stuff and this and... giant Gladys which you don't really know and don't care about twice <laughs> removed that kind of thing I suppose but I just I love looking through family photos I just love looking at pictures of people I really enjoyed and I made the decision when I was at school that I wanted to do it um, for like my GCSE because the school had a dark room and I, and I made the decision that I wanted to become a forensic photographer at the time in the 90s which is so it was all film development so the forensic photographer which is a role that doesn't exist anymore because everything's digital you're now a scene of crime officer so you just do everything but the forensic photographer would turn up at the scene of a crime with his film camera and his flash take all the pictures of all the evidence then go back and process it that's what I wanted to do I thought that sounds really interesting you know my careers advisor taught me out of it when I was 14 years old what did you say? Just said, don't do it. You, 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 you won't be ready for it. It'll be too horrific. It'll scar you mentally. I'm like, of course it will. Now, I'm 14. <laughs> I don't want to do it now. But I, that's, I've seen, I literally, I mean, I remember going to the police station and going, saying, can I have, like, the, the job description and just let I me know. I thought you were going to say, wait, can I have some questions? <laughs> <more, please?" laughs> can I have the job description so I, take, so I can take it back to my careers advisor to say this is what I want to do and I want to know what qualifications I need and I want to know how I apply for it when I leave school. I was that single-minded that that's what I wanted to do. The careers advisor talked me out of it. And because they were an adult in a senior position, I listened to them. So I went back in my shell. And I still studied it at school through... It was a, it was a tough, tough thing because I was the only one doing it. So I was teaching myself because there was no teacher to teach it. We, they, the school just had a darkroom and a textbook. So this is how you do... This is how you process And they decided school. they were just going to let you do... Would it be be in in GCSEs? They initially said don't. They initially said you can't do it because you're the only one doing it. So we can't. We don't. The art teacher can't teach both classes at once. They can't teach a photography class and an art class because it would be under the umbrella of art. So you can't do it. My dad had a meeting with the headmaster. The meeting lasted sixty seconds, and he came out and he said, "You're doing photography, son." Because he knew that that's what you wanted to do. He made sure that the headmaster knew that I wanted to do photography. So I did it, and then the art teacher said, you need to teach yourself because I haven't got time, two years, and I passed my GCSE. Scraped it, but passed it, and then they completely blocked me from doing it for A-level. 
So I took three A-levels that I didn't want to do and failed them all. Two years in sixth form college to do nothing, really. And then just had a series of, like, jobs that, you know, they were jobs, and it was cool, and I learnt lots from them. But they weren't what I wanted to do, and it took me, I'd say, six, seven years until I was sort of 23, 24, to decide that, no, I need to go back to this photography thing. So what jobs were you doing? Uh, I worked, I pushed trolleys for a supermarket. I've done that. Stacked shelves at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I've done that. Cold calling for charities. Haven't done that. <laughs> <laughs> so they used, to, they used to give you a list of phone numbers. You just call people up and go, can you donate to help the aged children they need, whatever it is. I mean, you n- normally get abuse on the phone for that. Uh, I worked in a 24-hour snooker hall. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it was good. It was... Terrifying. Yeah, I don't want to belittle anything because I learned, like, I learned stuff from each of these jobs, particularly, like, working 16-year-old in a warehouse at a supermarket. You can learn stuff. Yeah, of course. From people... Life lessons, yeah. Yeah, life lessons, exactly, and hard work and not being given stuff and, you know, all that kind of thing. And, like, the 24-hour snowfall thing was like, you know, I learned how to cook the best English breakfast on the South Coast in my mind. You know, I, I learned how to... Because you, you do everything in that club. You clean the snooker tables, you change the barrels, you do the stop take, you know, you cook the breakfast, you'd wash up, you do the risk assessments, the health and safety things, all those sorts. It wasn't just pulling pints. You were doing everything. So you learn little things. And then my final job before I went into photography was I was working for an insurance company, pretty much on the complaints line for the claims. And I was told on my first day, um, every call you get, trying to claim on their insurance policy is fraudulent. It is up to the customer to prove that they are not lying. That was the attitude we had. That's great. So you have, <laughs> so you have people literally ringing up saying, my, my roof's blown off the top of my house prove in a storm. It. Prove it. That was the kind of thing. And so you just used to get complaints after complaints. And I took really one call in the morning... I thought I was half an hour away from lunchtime and I was three hours away from my lunch. Um, been, do you, yeah. you know the thing? Well, well uh, uh, Brendan White, who uh, you are, I don't think you've met, he works uh, for Admiral and he he still works for Admiral and he can have a shift that's supposed to end at five o'clock and then eight o'clock comes and he's like, I'm still here because five minutes before it was supposed to end, this big call came in with a big accident and... Three hours on the line. You're done. So I got shouted at for half an hour by this customer, and um, I excused myself from my desk, and I went and found a quiet corner somewhere, and just I had a, a little bit of a mini, you know, moment to myself, just like bit of a what, cry, bit of a... yeah. What am I doing? I was bawling. I was just like, what? The, I was looking out the window, just thinking, what am I doing? And um, just decided to get busy doing something what I really want to do because I can't do this can't do it I couldn't face it so um, I applied for a job um, about 60 miles away and they gave it to me after one interview on a a portfolio of work that I just sort of built up over the last six years which wasn't very good and it was in a portrait studio shooting sort of families and babies and things and I thought I'd nailed the interview and done really well because they offered me the job on the way home turns out they just had three photographers leave the previous week and they were completely stuck (laughs) and and looking for someone who was so desperate that they would just you know do anything for the job we'll travel 60 miles seriously travel 60 miles he's desperate he'll do it so um, I got my first day like you know I get in and I'm watching the photographer and about a week in they're giving me the camera and letting me shoot and I've never used a flashbulb in my life and they've sellotaped all the settings on the camera and said don't touch anything They've put all the lights in the position, so don't touch those lights. Stand there, face that way. Make sure they have fun and take pictures. And if anything goes wrong, come down and ask someone. That was my training. 
So what I learned, and this is super important in photography, particularly the photography that I've gone to do in terms of like wrestling and social portraiture and ultimately weddings and things like that, is I learned people skills first, photography second. So I learned how to interact with mums, grandparents, babies, toddlers, kids, teenagers, dads who don't want to be there. I learned how to get them together and looking happy at the same time before I learned about direction of light, quality of light, apertures, shutter speeds, all that kind of stuff. And I still think that stands me in good stead to this day. In I, terms I, of... I wish wrestlers would learn that. <laughs> like I know, but some, like I, I'm, I'm hands down, I will turn around and say, like I, you can have all the ability in the world. If, if, if you don't fit in that locker room... Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm still super nervous about it. I still think the locker room... I mean, I've, I've heard it a billion times now, but I still think the locker room is the place of, like, two ears, one mouth. Particularly if you knew. If you knew, two ears, no mouth. And use them in that ratio. You know? Yeah. Just like, you, you, you know, you're always trying not to get in the way and not giving your opinion about stuff. And I'm really conscious of that as well, because I've never taken a... Up until last week, I've never taken a bump in my life. I've never taken a bump in my life. I've never performed in front of a crowd of people. I've never, you know, don't know a wrist lock from a waist lock. You know, it's just so I don't give my opinion about matches and things like that. Um, I, I'm just there just to take pictures, you know. So it's it's a case of just which is something you're you're very skilled in and. and... You Very wanna... well opinionated about, and well, and rightly so. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if people want to talk, but you know, ultimately, it's a privilege, and, and um, you know, it's a privilege to be in that position for me because I get to capture things that are quite unique. But yeah, no, that studio, that studio environment was was super was super helpful, and yeah, without it, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. So, how long were you there? I was there for. Um... 2003 through to 2010 I went self-employed so about seven years but then like so you said like they sell tip the the settings they'd like do not move the lights at what point did you you start <laughs> messing with because you must have got to a point where you're like okay so I know the people I've got the people skills done yeah. I can I can get the 40 year old dads the 16 year old daughter and the 3 year old toddler all happy and all mm. smiling the, the stuff you were creating, was it fulfilling? Well, yeah, because in the, in the initial outset, it was selling. So the, my work was selling in the sales room and was making hundreds and thousands of pounds for the company. So I thought very early on that I'd completed photography. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. So, and and I, I couldn't have been more wrong. And I remember taking a, an image for a, for a photo critique. Um, I tell this story all the time. I'll tell it to you. I'll tell it to you. Apologies if anyone's heard this. But I remember taking, look, counting the number of lights in the studio, and there were 12 that I could use, that I had access to for one shot. So I lit a couple with 12 lights, thinking I'm going to be Superman. And I took it to a photo critique for the area. So we had like 20 odd photographers all bundle in, and you all bring one print in each, and the head photographer gives you a critique. Um, was it for the company or was it? The company it? I was okay. working for, yeah. The company was a franchise, so there was lots of different studios all around the country. I went up first because I was so confident that this picture with 12 oh lights God. yeah, was going to be much better than everyone else's. And he, in front of the room, tore it to pieces for 12 minutes. Oh, my God. 12 minutes, tore it to pieces on the composition, the expression, the lighting, the processing, the print quality, everything. And ended his summary by saying, why are you trying to use 12 lights when you don't even understand how to use one? 
to this day, I still try and shoot most of my portraits with one light. We've done a bunch of them today with one light because there are so many different ways you can use one light. And it was the biggest turning point for me creatively because I went back to that studio and went, okay. Let's turn let's, 11 lights out. Yes, turn 11 lights out and start off with one and build up. And I've been using one light for the last 10 years. <laughs> I still haven't progressed to two. Um, no, it, was, it, it genuinely was because I've never been, I've always wanted, I remember like every time I got like, you get a critique and you just like, well, obviously that's rubbish. And I'm like, no, no, no. You've got to tell me why it's rubbish. Tell me what's wrong with it. So I don't make that same mistake again. So I can move forward with it. You know, and I'd, and I'd never take a criticism. And I see it. I see it in wrestling occasionally with like people who get their matches critiqued. That's a story I've got about two performers came back from a match at Progress once and asked um, Marty and Mark, Marty Skirl and Mark Haskins for advice. And they gave them a breakdown of that match for 15 minutes that was gold. This is just from watching it out of the corner of yeah. their eye. But they, I, and I remember, and I was like, my God, this is amazing. One of those performers was like a puppy dog. Eyes wide open, ears wide open, taking it all in. And the other one was just looking at the floor. Didn't want to know, couldn't take the criticism. And I've seen their development over the last two years. Oh, that's interesting. And I know, I know, I know the, I, I, you knew at the time who was going to be more successful. Unquestionably. And that comes from understanding how to take a criticism. That's that, not personal. But that's, in life, that's, that's huge. And for everything, yeah. But it's, you can tell as well who, who comes back from their matches and who says, did you see it? anything anything wrong you can tell them people from the ones who come back and don't say anything to anyone mm. and you can figure out who's gonna because one of them Marty or Mark I can't remember they, they went up to them first and they said oh is there exactly what you said is there anything anything bad Any, anything I need to work on and they just went nah and that person went no really was there anything I need to work on and that's when the 15 minute thing came because they pushed and they pushed and they of pushed course. and they said what, what was come on tell me what was wrong don't just br- brush me off because that's 15 minutes of Marty and Mark's time. Like, yeah. you know, but it's like, if they feel like they, the person doesn't want, really want the critique, why give the critique? Mm-hmm. You it doesn't push you again. Okay, I guess you really do want this then. Okay, let's do it. It's the worst feedback you can get. It's, yeah, it's fine. Worst feedback you can get. I want feedback. Tell me, you know. So, you know, uh, that's, that's what I think anyway. So you went back to the studio. You turned out 11 lights. <laughs> yeah. And then did you start messing around with the, like, the settings on the camera and just trying to figure out what's... Yeah, you, you kind of, yeah, but ultimately you don't really have a mentor over you in that scenario because you're working, I was, I mean, I was shooting nine, ten sessions a day and the ultimate goal was to make sure people had fun, you know, in that environment, in a social portrait photography environment, you want them to come back and go, oh, well, didn't we have such great fun? I'll look at the laughs and the expressions. And it wasn't until I went self-employed in 2010 and, I, we, you know, we're in my studio now, you see the space I've got to work with. It's not, you know, it's not like a high street studio, it's not a massive space. I've got sloping ceilings, which really, really limit my space. And I couldn't afford loads of lights. And even if I could afford loads of lights, I, I've got nowhere to put them. So when I went self-employed, it was like, okay, learn how to use this one light then. And let's try and light these people in different ways. And let's try and make the most of what we've got. The old Paul Heyman thing, accentuate the positives, hide the negatives. Yeah. I'm probably going to quote Paul Heyman a dozen times on this podcast. Um, but yeah, and, and so then I started using one light from there and just started sort of building it up from there. And, and it's amazing that I started winning awards with images that I'd shot with one light. Half of those images over there are shot with one light. But it's n- not trying to aspire to what you haven't got. It's working with what you have and making the most of it. So this, you went self-employed in 2010. Yeah. Why? Um, the, well, the studio I, I was in just suddenly amalgamated another studio that had closed down. So all of a sudden there was a surplus of staff 
and not as much work to facilitate that. Okay. And I just felt that my time had come that there was nothing more I could do there in that job. Certain series of events then happened and it was just it was easier for me to leave. Yeah. We bought this place about two months previous and we bought it because we knew it had this loft conversion. So we knew I could work in it. So we knew we had a working studio. We knew it was big enough to get babies in. We knew it was big enough to do mum, dad and baby. Um, and we knew we could, we, we, we knew we could do it. And it's just, a, again, it's a case of like, I was in my mid, early mid thirties when I bought it. And it's like, if I'm, if not now, when we've got no kids, when, when am I going to do it? Yeah. When am I going to go self-employed? Yeah. So yeah, we just did that then. But the problem comes is that you leave this job in a, in a studio that's got a whole team working for it, getting leads in, getting new customers in. And all of a sudden you're on your own. You've got no customers, no leads. You have to build it up from scratch. So you just, you, you know, you start off and you make a list of people you know and then people they may know and then you just start making a few like inquiries here and there and dropping a few leaflets off at the hairdressers and asking people to come in and for, for freebies and I've got a person who works with dogs next door so I gave her a bunch of leaflets said if you need any dog portraits done I'm literally shooting everything shooting weddings, commercial, food, portraits, babies, families you We've know, got bills thing. to pay of course Got bills to pay and I didn't leave with like a you know, there was no backup and we'd literally just bought a house so it's like you have to make money and I had a figure in my mind every month of the minimum I had to make to pay the mortgage and that was every month and I remember, there was one month about eight months in where I took an order uh, six o'clock the day before we had to pay the mortgage and that was the order that went through that just about put me above that line one order living month to month but, that but was that's a, motivation but that was also like we had, we had a conversation about this in the car briefly about like people going full time wrestling but um we won't get into that, but like you had seven years worth of experience as a photographer, mm. and you were still breadline. Mm. Like it's so hard to be self-employed mm-hmm. in, in any creative field, let alone one in which you have the bills and a mortgage and other dependents. The first year, the first year I went self-employed, two thousand and ten, I was working for a an events company, so I'd take part-time work going to the Rose Bowl in Hampshire, handing out free drinks to people, handing out uh, shots of Captain Morgan, um, to pay the bills because I needed to do something. So we did. I did. I had little part-time jobs elsewhere, and like that's it wasn't hard but it was just interesting like being in your early to mid 30s working with predominantly sort of kids who are 18, 19, 20 on an events team which would just give him handed out free samples of things you know but you have to check your ego because you're this is what I want to do so there's a bigger picture to it but to pay the bills I took on loads of little events jobs promotional jobs like that at the time for the first two years I'd say I was doing lots of little jobs and there, there came a point where it's just like there came lots of points where you're just like I should just really go back to getting a proper job but but that was never a reality because I never left the insurance job in 2003 to go back to doing another boring job yeah you know it, and the motivation of firstly having the mortgage and then secondly when the kids started to come along that's all the motivation you need to try and make money all you need well and just as well as like when you have kids you want to be a role model for them as well you want to say look your dad had a dream had a vision didn't settle and you kind of want to do it for them as well at the same time I guess uh, unquestionably and they and, and, and I they all the time particularly with like my oldest my youngest not so much because you know which it will be when she's older but just like 
You can do or be anything you want. You really can, you, and and it's up to them what they want to do, and, you, and that's your job as a parent is to support them, you know, in in whatever they want to pursue. Hey everyone, just want to take a minute from a conversation this week to talk to you about our sponsors, Pins and Knuckles Merchandise. Pins and Knuckles Merchandise was formed in two thousand and nine, and it was founded by toy musicians who'd spent many years working with companies and just not achieving the results they desired as a band. Because of this. Pins and Knuckles was created with the aim to provide high quality merchandise to bands, artists and wrestlers alike. And do you know what? They nailed it. If you're looking for the best place to get t-shirts printed, stickers, flags, embroidery, DTG, sublimination printing, they do it all. Tom, Shannon, Dan and the rest of the team are doing a great job. And you know what? It's exactly where I get all my stuff from and I think that's where you should get your stuff from too. And because of the guys over at Pins and Knuckles Merchandise, I'm able to keep this podcast absolutely free this month. So if you're looking for a best place to get yourself printed, maybe you're in a band, maybe you're a wrestler, or hell, maybe you're everything in between, then head over to pinsandknucklesmerchandise.com and check them out today. Better yet, they also offer free delivery to the UK and Europe. Big thanks, Pins and Knuckles. You've tore it apart. So how long was it then until you were making, like, I don't want to say good money, but you know, like, a, a, a good living to say that, where you weren't breadline? I would say 2013, so three years. Three years, and that's when my, that's when my wife came on board. She, um, do you want me to go again over the doorbell? That's cool. <laughs> 2013, my wife left her job uh, because she was because of a series of events again that we can't talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, long and short of it, she got pregnant. She went back, and the the career ended very shortly afterwards. Yeah. Um, so she was now out of a job. So all of a sudden, the mortgage is entirely dependent on what we have to do. So it's like, okay, you're on board now, and because she had a marketing background, she changed the way that we sell. She changed the way that we. Um, she changed the way that we promote and all of a sudden we started getting better orders from our from our clients that were coming in so that was down so that was down to us two working together and every good man is a great woman oh, well yeah don't, I know, don't I know it mate don't behind, I know it behind every man living his dream and is a great woman doing vanity projects is a woman who's actually counting the pennies um, but yeah so that I mean that happened and, and, and we've been working together since so we've been working together on this business now for five years now. So that would be oh yeah, two thousand thirteen to eighteen, yeah. Eighteen. So then, when did you when did you see you got involved with wrestling? Two thousand and fourteen. So things were going well, and you how did that come how did that come about? So the two thousand and fourteen thing was I wanted a project to get what they call a, a professional qualifi- qualification called a fellowship. Okay. The fellowship well, right. in that? photography is the highest award you you can be given by a qualification body. Okay, so what that would do for me would it we would differentiate myself from my competition in my local area. So when a customer is looking for a potential client, I can say to them, "I've achieved the highest qualification in photography. Do you want to come to me, or do you want to go?" Who to gives that out? Um, there are qualifying bodies, professional bodies that you would that you subscribe to, um, and you. There's like three quite big ones in the UK, um, and I'm sort of like a member of two of them. 
Um, so essentially, you provide a panel of work, you print it up big, 20 images, and you put them in front of five judges who are like photo- photographic bastards around the UK. Who and, also are fellowships, I guess. Yeah, and they basically give you a thumb up or a thumb down. That's it. As to whether you're in or not. So that's why you got involved with wrestling? Yeah, because I, because I knew the fellowship project couldn't just be my best work that I've shot since 2004. It had to be a specific project on a specific theme. Oh. Right? So it was never... Because then it sits together as a nice set. You know, so I could produce 20 images of wrestlers all the same way, all the same size, all series. black and white. And the impact of that is like, wow, this guy couldn't control a camera. He's got a great eye for de- you know, design and the way things and look. It tells, and almost tells a story, too. It tells a story, which is all, all its bounty. It wasn't going to be wrestlers initially. Initially, Ooh. I was going to... And I got so close that it just cut off in the end. I was going to photograph um, in and around a children's hospice. I was going to go super heavy on it oh, at the time. Mate. I had this. I had this. I'm quite glad it did. It fell through. We were like super. They were super behind the project because it was all done for the right reasons. What I learned from going there, I, and I had a tour of the place, was. I went in there expecting one thing and the first thing I saw was colour and painting and light and noise and laughter and everything I didn't expect. And they explained to me that the hospice is a place where these children should have the best of whatever they have left in terms of their time. So it's our job to make it fun. It's our job to give them things they want to do and things they can do as well for the kids that have severe to give them a child disabilities. Food. Yeah, absolutely. And to give the parents one less thing to worry about when they have their time away. Yeah. Oh, man. I, and, I, and, I, and there's a big mural uh, across the wall that runs throughout the entire centre uh, that's sort of designed, and they're explaining it to me, saying this represents their journey. So each, the mural is like a river, and it goes into each room, and it has little words above it that sort of represent the journey sort of through these kids' lives. And it ends, the mural, at this door. And you go in the door into a room where there's nothing apart from like a little sort of raised surface in the middle and everything's about 10 degrees colder than it was outside oh my god okay so you go in there and this is like okay what why is the heating on was <laughs> I think the question I asked and they said oh no this is a room for when when the inevitable happens we need a place that's a little bit colder so that if the parents are away for whatever reason okay right Exactly. You can join the dots if you're listening. Oh, my God. So I'm like, and at this point, I'm like right on the edge. And I'm probably going to go a bit now when I explain the next bit. They then took me out another door. And you're outside. And the first thing I'm confronted with is like this little rock garden with like 20-odd pebbles on it. And all these pebbles have got names on them. And they're to represent everyone who's passed through that room. And they explained that to me. They said, you know, this is like the rock garden. I was like, and I was just... These, the amount of rocks, I was just like, this is utterly overwhelming. I said, oh no, that's, look, round the corner. Oh my God. Thousands. Hun- hundreds and thousands. And I was just like, wow. Were you a father at this point? About to become one. Oh my God. And that makes you reevaluate. Thing, doing things like that makes you reevaluate things. And like, I'm, I'm, it's something I maybe want to look back and do again and reevaluate with a different head now. But yeah, just 
utterly overwhelming, utterly overwhelming that these things exist in life and they're utterly grounding in terms of making you realise how fortunate you are. I can't watch Children in Need these days. You know? I can't watch it. Can't watch things like that because becoming a parent makes you realise how utterly vulnerable yeah. things like that are. You know? So I moved away from that and then decided, okay... <laughs> Um, um, let's do wrestlers instead. And I was, <laughs> because I was still into my wrestling. I was still like the punk thing was still the CM Punk thing was still really reverberating around in my head. And I, and I remember seeing wrestling posters around Portsmouth and just thinking I can do better than that. You know, it, it's not representative of what I know. But up until this point, I hadn't seen a UK show. So I'm emailing wrestlers. 2014, emailing, 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 no responses. Who are you emailing? I'm just, because I didn't know who was relevant in the scene. Cause yeah, who are you emailing then? <laughs> Twitter still wasn't like a really thing. I remember UK Kid was one. Is he a familiar name? UK Kid. Oh. The UK Kid, then a guy called Travis who lives up in Blooming Middlesex or somewhere, and just trying to get, and I couldn't get anything. And what I realised later on was that rest, wrestlers obviously get a lot of emails from fans or can I take your picture and they just didn't take it seriously I was about to give up right and then I saw a newspaper article about Flatliner over you know, and, he, and this newspaper article said local wrestler overcome stomach condition to return to the ring this, this Saturday he's a lovely guy by the way great guy right so I contacted the person who wrote the article and said here's my number can you pass it on to him and let me because I know you can't give me his number and he called me back five minutes later you know if you don't know what Chris is like, Chris is just like, big guy, big beard, studs everywhere. Big person out there. He says, I'm free next Wednesday, come and pick me up, first caravan on the left. <laughs> like, okay. So I'm like, <laughs> I said to my wife, I said, I'm going to go and pick up a wrestler now <laughs> and bring him back. And he was charming and lovely and just everything I expected and wanted. He invited me to the Revolution Pro Wrestling Show at Mountbatten Centre, saw the product thought I saw Marty Skull on that card, saw Ricochet on that card, saw Josh Bodum on that card, saw the, the legend that has Andy Boy Simmons on that card. And I just thought, like, it isn't representative of the, you know, the, the, the standard of what I've seen. Like, in terms of, at that show, the show was amazing, and the posters weren't representative of that. So I just wanted to do more photos. Chris then introduced me to Simmons... Simmons introduced me to Marty because they were flatmates at the time. Marty Skull introduced me to Doug Williams and Jimmy Havoc. Jimmy Havoc introduced me to most of the trainees in London. Doug Williams introduced me to most of the old school guys on the south coast of England. From those four progressions, I had a project. All of a sudden. And then within three weeks of me shooting Chris, Flatliner, within three weeks of me shooting Flatliner, I had basically shot about 30 or 40 wrestlers and had actively people emailing me saying we've seen your photos we, I want to get involved and then I'm turning people away because they're not right for the project so it's amazing how quickly it erupted well I was speaking to Chris Roberts uh, when was it recently and we were like what would I he I think we were saying what would you attribute the rise of British wrestling to and he and I said something and then he was like yeah, that that had a playing factor, or this had a playing factor. And he was like, "It's the internet." He was like, "The internet has changed everything." Yes, because in, because uh, especially in Britain, everything's so freely uh, distributed that it's just so easy to get your hands onto. But I was saying to you earlier on that I feel that 
it wasn't just that. It was it's a series of, of things. There's your influx of this generation that's coming now, the likes of your Pete Dunns, your Mark Andrews, your Will Ospreys, with the likes of Marty Skrull, who was the generation before, and Sabre, who had been fighting for that, and they came in with this new generation who was willing to push it. It was the internet, was was on-demand services, um, and people being able to kind of promote online. But then another part of it is the photography. And I said to you that I, I attribute one of the biggest successes and what drew, drew my attention to progress in general was that after you started doing photography with with Jimmy, and after you become the Progress Wrestling Champion, it just felt that it was so much bigger than anything I'd ever seen before. And these people who were, were just wrestlers, were just my mates as wrestlers, for the first time ever, were looking like superstars. That That's it. And it goes down to the whole perception as reality. So I remember, like I say, I can, I can almost describe to you word for word the first wrestling poster I saw when I thought about doing the project. And it just didn't make them look like stars. It made it look cheap. It made it look tacky. It made it look like £10 for a ticket was overselling it for the entertainment you were going to get. And then when I went to that first show, I cannot, like, you see Ricochet. It's a guy like Ricochet. And you're like, he's promoted on a poster like that. There's no way, you know, and like Jimmy was like a Jimmy was like maybe fourth or fifth on the project of what, who we shot, and like I could have made a book out of the, that shoot. That was easy. I mean, I'll tell you a quick story about our first shoot with Jimmy. <laughs> this <is> quite <laughs> it's in this studio, and my idea was I said to him, I said I just want to cover you, I just want to cover you in blood, I just want to, you know, white shirt, <laughs> just that line in general, yeah. is brilliant. I just want to, if you're a deathmatch guy, let's cover you in blood and let's go for it. So, but I said, we can't do that to begin with because I want to do some standard ones first. You can't just cover you in blood and then decide to go back. 45 minutes, 45 minutes an hour into the shoot, we've done enough stuff with the staff and all that sort of stuff. And I said, right, it's time for the blood now, Jimmy. He goes to one corner of the room, I go to the other corner of the room. I go into my desk, pick out my big bottle of fake blood that I've bought from the joke shop. He's gone to his bag on the other corner of the room. He's come back with a razor blade. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I thought you wanted me to... He thought you said you wanted blood. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to... I don't want you to... Huh? And he was prepared. Of course he was. He was. Uh, I mean, and, and you're just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, Doesn't yeah. surprise me in the slightest. We did it with fake blood, just so you know. <laughs> but me and him have worked on so many different projects now together in... in like uh, the calendar I did with him last year is still one of my favourites. Oh, some of those, some of those ones are. Um, it's uh, currently hanging in uh, my girlfriend's mum's kitchen because, <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why. Um, so as you know, Jordan did some of those portraits of a wrestler. Um, they look those, Yeah, she did some of those uh, those big drawings, and when she was drawing Jimmy based off one of your images. Um, her mum come past and was like, he has the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen. He has got beautiful eyes. And she, and I told Jimmy this and Jimmy was like t- telling her thank you or whatever. So when I kind of like, when he got the calendar, I'm, he was like, oh yeah, Joan's mum like this, didn't she? I was like, yeah. So oh. I gave it one and when I gave it to her, she was like, she doesn't know his name, but she just goes, it's him with the pretty eyes. And she took it and she put it up, it's up in the kitchen. <laughs> that's hilarious. She, and that's, do you know what? Don't make light of that. That is like, Oh, you have to... That's amazing. Whenever I see fan art as well, 
The amusement what, But what Jordan's done, yeah, the fact that people take their time to take a photo you've taken and do their own interpretation of it is amazing. The fact that work that I've shot is hanging on a calendar in someone's mum's house is just amazing. The fact that when we ship our prints out, I'm shipping to mainland Europe, to Australia, to New Zealand, to America, to Japan, to Canada. I don't take that lightly. And the the rise of this project is way... I, w- I wanted to shoot wrestlers for three months and finish and get my qualification. Oh, wrestling doesn't want you to, it, to do that. But it doesn't... It, but I can't. I can't. I've said this a billion times. I can't get out of it even if I wanted to. I don't know how I would. How would I? Because it's just a business now. It's become a business. And it wasn't supposed to be that. It was supposed to be a qualification so that I could sell my services to families easier. <laughs> just to get just to get our like literally we literally I've completely forgot that the, the aim of the project was to just get our fellowship to get the fellowship so that I could go oh if you want to come for your family photo shoot don't go there come here because I've got this I totally literally have completely <laughs> forgotten that, that was the point in which you started it I've made more I say this all the time I've made more lifelong friends in shooting wrestlers for four years than I have shooting with other photographers for 14 and have more friends who are wrestlers than photographers. That's just the industry of wrestling, though. That's not a slight on photographers. That's just the fact that once you're in, you're in, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to get up for years. <laughs> <laughs> I always make the joke when I, say, uh, when I say to people, I was like, at 11 years old, wrestling stole my heart, and I've been spending the last 10 years trying to get it back. <laughs> 15, 15 years trying to get it back. That's true. And I didn't want to have anything. So, like, so you, 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 applied, you put in for this fellowship, yeah. And did you get the fellowship? First time, yeah. First. Which, how many times do people sometimes spend years trying to get sometimes it? Sometimes people fail. Sometimes people fail getting a half that never reapply. Sometimes people fail, reapply, fail again. I've, I passed first time, which was, like, quite fortunate. No, no. How many, like, so would they have opened it up and said, apply for a fellowship? Is that what they... Um, yeah, you, you join these associations, which are, like, mem- photography associations for, like, you know, amateurs and professionals and whatever, and you... And you you have access to other photographers who can help and mentor you, help and tell you where you're going wrong with your lighting, your composition and things like that. And it's basically just like a community of other photographers to discuss artistic things and also business things. Um, and basically just make the scene better. It's kind of like a together we're stronger kind of thing, you know, make the scene better. So although you're in competition with each other, ultimately, not everyone's a member of these associations, but the ones who are supposedly reap the benefits. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, you go through the process and I talk to other photographers who are a lot older than me, who've been through the process, you know, longer than me, who understand light better than me, who understand composition better than me and just learn off of them, really. It's like, it's like, it's like being a trainee wrestler and just learning off of the experience. It's like being a wrestler. Just like being a wrestler, you know. You're a trainee about it, mate. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so you go through that and then you literally produce all of your images really big so that there's no hiding place. They're not done digitally, they're done on print quality. And then I produced a booklet, which is over there in a, in a big box with three ring ropes around it to mimic the wrestling ring. And I wrapped all of the booklets in a canvas to mimic the canvas and individually printed them and hand those to the judges as well so they can see how much care and attention you put into the project. So once again, it's not about going, here are my 20 best images, what do you think? It's like, no, this is my project. This is why I care so much about these guys and this, this industry. And this is the care and attention I give to my artistic work. So it's like taking it to, to an artistic level rather than a sort of business level, I suppose. Which I love. Yeah, it's great. It was the best thing ever. And I've not really done that style since. Everything from Portrait of a Wrestler has evolved because, you know, I don't want to 
just stick doing the same thing. All the shots, you know, when, when we stick Marty in the sea or when we shoot a, a horror calendar for Jimmy Havoc or when we, when we take you to a vinyl shop, it's all about trying different things. It's all about trying different lighting styles. It's all about trying different colours and different processings. I don't want to try and mimic other photographers and what they're doing. I want to take little bits from here and there, but I still want to create and evolve my own style. As soon as that stops evolving, it's probably time to, to get out. I remember when I did... I remember when I... Because I, I have a, a, a... As you know, I have a degree in, in fine art and stuff like that. Yes. But, um, I, I remember as I understood... And I thought I understood wrestling completely. I, I, as I became more enthralled in this world of arts, I realised how much wrestling runs parallel to arts. And your, the way you were just talking about... Um, the way you were just talking about photography, everything you just said runs parallel with wrestling. The way you approach it, the way you think about it, the way you 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 said like you want to tell a story. There should be underlying motives. Should be factors. Everything comes back to it comes back to wrestling. And I just think it's it's crazy how how much of an art form it really is. But yet nobody's ever taken it down that route as an art form. There's a yeah. There's a, and I think wrestling is the only art form. It's the only physical performance art form for which you don't need music or a vocal narrative. Well, you understand. do need music. You need entrance music, but to, to, from the moment the bell rings, the bell is the only sound you really need to understand. Who the good guy is, who's the bad guy is, who you're cheering for, who's winning, who's losing, and how they won and how they lost is all performed through physical manoeuvres. You know. I liken it to like, if you compare it to something like the ballet, which ultimately has a soundtrack to accompany it, but you could watch ballet without it because it is phenomenal. That performance is the same every night. They will do the same performance every night. Whereas as a wrestler, you don't. You improvise. You do different things. You react to the crowd in different ways. If the crowd isn't going that way, you do a different thing. You know, that to me is still the mystery around wrestling. Watching a Will Ospreay Marty Skull match is a mystery to me, and I've seen them backstage, and it's still a mystery to me. <laughs> I don't know how they know they're going to do the thing they're about to do. Don't know. Don't know how they do it, because that level of physical performance is still mesmerising to me, and the speed of it, you know. And I don't want to know too much. I'm still. I, I, I never want to be smart, truly smart, because I like that grey area you know I yeah. like that air of mystery about it I, it's one of the sad things about being I suppose so involved in it is in that that curtain you're behind now yeah yeah it gets pulled up little by little yeah and that sort of like, oh, did, have they, or did they did they did it look like that, that wasn't going the way they planned are they having an argument backstage is, or did it go is that, is, is that an angle isn't it an angle da, 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 all that sort of stuff I miss out I miss that you know a little bit um, but but it's a massive trade-off for being backstage and having access to these brilliant characters. And to help, sometimes you help further push and develop stories and characters just through the, the medium of photography. We did with you. One of my favourite photos of the whole project is of you, and I'm so grateful you said yes to it. When you, when you had that match with uh, Zach Sabre Jr. and you'd done your ligaments and your shoulder and you just sat there waiting for the ambulance and you sat in the store cupboard with like your jacket over your shoulders keeping you warm and this little bowl next to you just in case you puke. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I did and later. Pack of ice and the, the and just the way you just looked up into the camera was just like I was so I was so 
that's the beauty of this project is I can't so, can, you give, so can, you, can you remember our conversation doing this you might not be you went to me and went do you, do you mind if I take full and I went I've got nothing else to do mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah I do um, yeah no and it's just like and I can't I could never have set that picture up because I don't have that creative mindset. I'm very reactionary in terms of like my creativity, I think. I think I can react well to stuff. And I Which think, is wrestling. Listen yeah. what I'm saying. The parallels is... Yeah. Yeah. I can't... I, I find it difficult to come up with concepts. There's very rarely... I've, I've shot a picture where it's like, that's completely my idea from nothing. My wife's the other way round. She can create something from nothing. She can take a piece of paper and just sketch something that's brilliant. I can't do that. Yeah, John can do that. Yeah. I but, react. Yeah, but what I can do is I can look at that and go, oh no, I can make that better. Oh no, we can tell a clearer story here. I'll move that out of the way and just change your angles and change what you're doing. Uh, yeah, and then you've got something. You know? Um, it's, yeah, I think, and that, and that was one of my favourite photos is of, is of you because it was real. Like Paul and Jimmy after their death match, it was entirely real. They were bleeding, they were hurting. They just told the most amazing story in a progress ring. Those photos I took at the end of the match were some of the easiest photos I could ever take. Yeah. No posing, no nothing. It was just like, no, I want it real. Sit there, do that. You know, look intimidating. <laughs> it's not hard to make Paul Robinson look intimidating. Man <laughs> alive, you know? So I think that's, that's why I'm so lucky with it. It's because there's so little effort that has to come in on it on my part, really. So you, you, did, the, you did the stuff that got you the fellowship. Yes. You got it. You, you said to yourself, okay, I'm, I, I've done this, I'm going to be able to be more, I've got something here then we'll get more families in and yeah. get me more work this way. <laughs> and that didn't happen. But then by then wrestling just had a hold of you and it was... I think the key to it was maybe Marty. Because he was, when we first shot it, when we first shot him and he was part of the project, he was injured. So he wasn't wrestling. The only re- I still maintain to this day, the only reason why Marty's girl came around this house was because he was injured and had nothing else to do couldn't go to the gym couldn't work couldn't do anything um so we had a we had our photo shoot then i did a little couple of other little things with him and then he starts talking to me about this villain character talking to me about and he was starting to build layers you know and he's talking about the plague doctor mask and the top hat and the fur coat i remember the fur coat was a big thing at the time you know i'm gonna come to the ring wearing a fur coat kind of thing growing his beard out changing his hair and then he just came to this with this idea for this trilogy of videos that we did. We did three videos with him and I built a light for it because I didn't want to buy a light because I was such a cheapskate. So I built one out of wood and like fittings and bulbs because I wanted to buy a big ring light to make it look different. Because once again, looking at the videography, looking at the promos wrestlers were cutting in the UK scene at the time, it's like in, in their kitchens or in their back gardens shot on phones, nice. some of them shot on portraits sort of thing. You're just like, okay, well, I can do that better. You know, with the little knowledge I've got of videography, I know I can do that better. And then Marty just came to me this idea of this trilogy of videos about sin and about how we, we all need to embrace our inner villain and, and, and how we've always maintained all along. He's not a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He's the villain. It's a character. It's not, we're not trying to be, you know, he's not trying to be one or the other. He's trying to be the villain. And those three videos, we just sh- I learned so much about sh- videoing and editing and putting stuff so together. So had, had you done video before this? Not, not, not really. I, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a cu- couple of promo videos for a catering company. <laughs> Little Facebook was, but no, I hadn't. And I just, yeah, I just, we shot those. He scripted them. Then we scripted it. We put them together. We edited them. We came up with three videos and they went super viral 
like for you know, I'm not super viral, but you know, they went within wrestling. You've yeah, seen them, right? British, yeah, of course, of course, of course I've seen yeah. them. Do you know, do you know one of the things, well, I, the reason I do hate you completely is you talk about the the promos that people were doing at the time. Oh no! And I, I will put and and I will, I'll show you these when it when it finishes. So this would have been two thousand and fourteen, fifteen, fourteen, fifteen, right? Yeah. So I was I was working for smaller promotions right but I was going to derelict buildings and I was I was setting it to music that reflected my character and I was I was putting nice filters over the top of it and I was and I was putting them out there and Mark Andrews will say as well like nobody else was doing it at the time and I was like right I'm, this is something different and then you came along and you were so much better than <laughs> I was at it and and Marty was already on a national platform yeah. doing it. So it just meant that whatever I was doing afterwards just went under the radar. And unfortunately, as well, because of the the shows I was doing it for were smaller shows, they weren't getting the eyes on it. So I can remember just watching it thinking, oh, you, you twats, you <laughs> bastards. But, but at the same time, it, it's a really good... It's something that I've used, especially with the podcast, that maybe if I'd been... I thought about doing them for ages, and I never did. Right. And maybe I waited a year too long, mm. and then when I finally did it, Marty comes along and there's found someone like yourself who was able to just do it so much better than I was. Mm. If I had done it a year previously, maybe at that point then, I they would have gone, oh well, Flash, what are you doing? It would have pushed me further, and that's another reason for the podcast. I almost didn't do it, and then eventually I was like, well, if you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. but the fact that you learnt how to video edit to kind of do those promos and those promos. So good, makes me absolutely hate you. Oh, that's sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's, I mean, but then that's you know, it's, I'm just a facilitator for those. I'm not. He's the creative spark behind. Of it. course. And so, it's, photography is a two way street, just like you know, videography is a two way street. It's, often, my portraits are as much about me as they are about the subject. Um, the video is the same thing. So, if I understood it and I got it, so I get a lot of like requests to do videos now. Sometimes you have to. Play them down a little bit because people expect are expecting too much, and I don't want to under deliver. They take a lot of time, it, and they're quite. I find them quite energy sapping. Like to actually shoot a video and to think about everything that goes on. I mean, I recently shot a video with a team of people for some for a completely different project, and you just see the amount of people that are involved in it. You know, a sound guy, um, a steady cam guy, a guy just to get the teas and coffees. You know, it's like a team of about twenty people to shoot this one video, and like. And then I just realised, Christ, I'm trying to do too much. That's the problem, I'm trying to do too much. I think my favourite one is... The, the Marty ones are really special and I can't pick a favourite. But the, the, exa- the, the exception to that rule that I've just sort of stated really, I think was Spike Trevay. Because he's got a background of performance and performance in drama. So when he came to me with his idea... In fact, he didn't even come to me with this idea. I first met him at a trainee photo shoot. So I was shooting 15 trainees. First trainee comes in. Okay, hello, I'm Jim. What are you? I'm a heel. Okay, uh, what sort of heel are you? Cocky heel. Okay, uh, what, what's his... Groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah. What's his... Oh, no, he's just really cocky, he's better than you. Okay, let's do your shoot. Second guy comes in. What are you? I'm a heel. What sort of heel? Cocky heel. Right, okay. Third, fourth guy, all the same. They all came in, they're just, they're just cocky heels, I'm better than everyone else. Fifth guy comes in, and it's Spike. He goes, right, yeah, I'm a member of the Bullingdon Club. I knew what the Bullingdon Club was. So I'm a member of the Bullingdon Club. I've bought the silver spoon I was born with. I've bought this bottle of champagne because it's gold, and I'm just, you know, and I go around just wrecking joints, wrecking places, because I not only deserve everything, but I own everything anyway, so I'm just going to take it. 
And I'm like, give me this guy. Give me this guy. I know what the character is. I know what he's trying to put across. We've got ideas. We've got stuff we can work with. And like, just went a little bit extra. On, I then went a bit extra on those shoots, on those shots for him, you know? Because so, some of you just sink your teeth into as well. Totally. Creatively, I knew where he was coming from. And then he came back to me and said, look, I really want to do a video promo idea. Uh, and he came back to me with the character, the script, and he said, I'm going to buy this, get this location for the day and dot, dot, dot. All I need you to do is be there and film it. I'm like, I'm yours. Because I can work with that. I can't come, I can't come back with the, like the whole thing. We used to get it. When we first did Marty's, was like, we'd get emails from people saying, I want to do a video like Marty's. Can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not doing a video like Marty's. You want that's Marty's you, video. You, you want to do a second-rate Marty Skrull promo and be a second-rate <laughs> Marty Skrull. Do you know what I mean? Cocky heel. Um, so... Um, yeah, so when I turned up at this pub in London with, with him, I mean, he'd, put, he'd gone to town so much and bought all this stuff. And then I, I bought loads of kit for it as well that I'd never used before because I wanted to make it brilliant because I knew there was something in that. And that guy in the last year, you know, has, his, his, his status has elevated, I think, within the UK oh, yeah. scene um, because he's just completely involved in that character when he's, when he's, when he's forward thinking with it. So that's one of my favourite ones because it was just so easy to do. So what year would that be in 2000? Beginning recently. of 2016, 2017. I think it was beginning of 2017. Yeah, it was last year. Did you do the Jimmy Havoc promos for Progress? Which one? For Progress? No. The ones where he lit the bin on fire. Yeah. They were all done in London. I think that was around about with like seven stuff. Okay. Oh, yeah, of course it would have been because yeah. he, was, he was involved in the editing. Like, silly me. But like, so Marty's stuff really started taking off. You added stock to Marty's character the whole build up to it right yeah and then from then it almost seemed like you went hand in hand with wrestling then like yeah that was it so when you had the video thing and when you when you're attached to to you know, a rocket like marty all of a sudden you get lots lots more requests for things plus when i first approached progress to photograph their shows it was just like a fun it was almost like a fun day out in camden so you got that element to it as well. And like you start meeting the guys and you start building the project. And then you start building a fan base online. Like people who like the photography. People who like following what you're doing. And people who like buying prints and books and things. So all of a sudden you've got something that's actually marketable. So it's in your interest to keep going to these shows and keep trying to find talent. Create content. Create content. And like ultimately my, I think my goal is to like just continue to just try and make people look as good as they can possibly look, look like stars, but also get this thing across that wrestling is this art form. It's not to be scoffed at. It's not to be looked down upon. These guys are putting, you know, the whole line, the cliche line, putting their bodies on the line, but they literally are. They are, you know, risking injury and their health and just the fact that it's just this great atmosphere. I've taken shots of the crowd where outside of a goal scored in a Premier League football match, you will not get the reactions that you get at a pro wrestling ring. You know, from from something that's supposed to be fake, from something that's supposed to be predetermined, these fans are entirely lost in the moment. And they know it's predetermined as well. It's not as if it's a child's or, or uh-huh. back in the 80s when the wall was pulled over their eyes. They, they, they walk in... And they check their disbelief at the door. Absolutely. Investment in the product, investment in what they're seeing in front of them, and the fact that when they lose themselves, that's the that's the brilliance of wrestling. That's what you know, that's what I want to capture. And and I think those, you know, hopefully my images are 
helping to tell that story, you know. So what was the first project you did with Progress? Uh, I turned up at chapter, I think it was chapter 18, and I was very conscious of not getting in Rob Brazier's way because he's their sort of employed photographer. I'm just a guy who turns up. And so I just, I remember the first person I met was Rob and said, I'm James, I'm not going to get in your way. If I'm in your way, you just got to tell me and I'll move out your way, blah, 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 blah. Luckily, Marty and Jimmy were there at that show, so I got to speak to them and they introduced me to guys because I didn't know guys like Rampage. Imagine me going to Rampage. Hello, Mr. Brown. <laughs> I'm James. Come here to take your picture. But luckily, they took me around the locker room and said hello to everyone. And most of them were like, oh, you do, you did Jimmy stuff. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, definitely shoot. So that's your in. But I didn't take any lights. Um, I just had a doorway. And when the guys came back through the curtain, I posed them against this door for three seconds. And just oh, I did them. that. Yeah, I did you that. Did it with yeah, me. yeah you did it with me, yeah. Um, so Eddie Dennis had uh, a, half a table in his eye. So I shot him with like his hand trying to get his like splinter out of his eye and he got it out of his eye and goes, I'm ready now. I said, no, I'm done. Three seconds, that was it. Literally three, I just wanted three seconds off of people. Big Damo cut a promo on me. I've told this story before. Big Damo cut a promo on me. He's going, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, the next time I'm going to fight you. And he goes, was that, was that good enough? And I'm like, it wasn't a video, mate. I was taking pictures. <laughs> he thought it was a video promo. And I'm like, no, you, you're gone, mate, you're off. Thanks very much. But I bet his thought was brilliant. It's all right. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's <laughs> yeah, nice. You, you can't take a bad image of Big Dave. Oh, that's true. He's you know? just killing it he's, as well. Oh, isn't he just? I mean, it, and again, he's another guy. Like we spoke about Mastiff before. Big Dave comes through the curtain. Yeah. I know what that is. I, I know. I know what he's... Yeah, I get him. Totally. You know, and all NXT does is just polish those edges. You know, because the guy... He's another guy who went to NXT who was more than ready. You know, but was completely under the radar as well. Yeah, and didn't have that buzz about him, which meant he could go there and he could impress. The stuff he can do as well, and he's super into his Japanese stuff as well. I know that, so he's got that side of him, that that element to him as well. You know, rather he's not just a big guy. Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and that was the first thing at Progress. So I sort of put those online and got a little bit of sort of social media attention. I just sort of tentatively asked John, "Well, can I can I come again? Because I'd like to maybe bring a light next time and maybe do." <laughs> you know some of the project and he's like yeah sure and like I always make sure I ask it's always been a thing I've always asked John even now I ask him like the week before a show oh is it okay if I still come to the show because I never want to take it for granted that you know I'm just going to be there but I, they respect that and they like that as well yeah I hope so yeah I hope so and I think I it's I think something. it's I think it's just a it's a it's a polite thing as well you, you are going there you I said you're not employed by them so you are going to be running these projects. But I, I think as well, it's like... So I went up to... Me and, me and Keith Lee. Uh, I was literally about to leave for the train on the day of me and Keith Lee. And we have a phone call through that says that Jordan's grandfather's dead. Right. Wow. And she's completely broken. Absolutely completely broken. And she just goes, I need to get out of the house. And I just... I message him and go, Can, it's okay if Jordan comes up with me today. Of course, they messaged back and said, you don't even need to ask. Like, she comes straight up. But it's that, like, I could have just showed up with her, but I always think that, again, like you, it's it's just polite, it's nice to ask, and that's, again, I think that's a testament to you as a professional, that you don't just think, well, I've created all this work now, I can just show up and stroll in. You still know that there's, it's their house, you don't just come in and eat from their table, or look through their, their cupboards, you're going, do you mind if I pop in? Mm which I think is real attestment to you. I think that's the difference as well. Sometimes I've, I've come into this scene with 
essentially 10 years worth of working as a professional photographer for families and mums and dads behind me. So from a business point of view, I'm, I think, as on point as I can be with regards to meeting deadlines and super exceeding expectations and never being chased for stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, obviously, everyone is chased. So sometimes I fall behind, you know, I'm quite busy and whatever. But I always make sure that if I shoot a show, it's the images are there if I've promised them to someone before the deadline. And I think not because because there isn't the financial incentive to do it, maybe not everyone can do that or has the incentive to do that so I like to maintain that no portrait of a wrestler is as professional a service as you can possibly get uh, for, for sort of like all your wrestling and photography and videography needs really it's super important to me well you talk about um, you just said the word was it was it wasn't overachieving but overstretching I can't remember what word you said but um, you entered this just to do just to do those portraits just to get those fellowship yeah just do bits and pieces but uh, you've worked now with Ring of Honor and you worked on their, on their UK tour. Yeah. And I'm guessing you being a wrestling fan, did you know about, much about the independent scene and know, like, knew that that's where punk came from? And Yeah, I mean, I obviously researched into that. I, I, I must, yeah, I, obviously I knew, yeah, and enough of that kind of stuff. But like that blows my mind that in three years of starting the project, not only have we got a store that sells to fans, but we've got like, pretty much the second biggest promotion you know certainly in the US sort of asking me to be in attendance at their shows and then working with guys like Cody and working with guys like Jay Lethal and working with guys that I used to watch on TV you know and, and, and learning that they're super professional and that they're really accommodating and yeah I shouldn't I still don't think I should be there but it's because <laughs> <you know, laughs> it just it feels like surreal, um, but it, so again, it's never taking it for granted and always making sure that you're trying to do as good a job as possible, you know, and trying to, once again, you go, so you go from a progress dressing room where I'm now saying hello to everyone and how are you and how's this, I know, I know you had that thing, blah, 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 and all conversations spiral off of it and I always share a beer with Jimmy Havoc post, post-match and all this kind of stuff. And then you go into your Ring of Honor dressing room and all of a sudden you're back to, okay, we're sitting in the corner. Hello, Mr. Brown. Hello. Yeah, exactly, yeah. We're sitting in the corner. We're keeping our ears open. We're keeping our mouth shut and we're waiting, you know. We're always looking for stuff to do, for work to do, but we're waiting to be asked, you know. Uh, and doing your polite handshakes all the way around and, you know, that sort of thing. And hopefully over time, you know, you, you become more ingrained, you know, but you just never know. But that, that blows my mind that, that I get the opportunity to do that and that I've been asked to do that. How did it come about? They saw the images I shot of Marty in the sea and then Marty approached me and said, I need a like an introductory video for to announce, hey, I'm in Ring of Honor. So we did two videos for him. We did one that just sort of said that that was then it's it's online but it's cutting it cuts in on Kevin Kelly. This oh this was amazing. Yeah, so I did like it was basically like, you know, um it was the introduction of the villain. So we did like, the shaky ropes with no one in the ring and then he appears in the ring and it just it ends with just his face screaming at the camera. He doesn't say a word. Um, Marty's girl coming soon to Ring of Honor. And I just edited and shot that for him. And it cut into Kevin Kelly on like their, their YouTube channel as he's sort of wrapping everything up. So join us next week for... Marty comes on. And that's like my video. 
And it's cutting to Kevin Kelly, a guy who I remember watching in the Attitude Era and just thinking, how cool is he? And then Kevin Kelly, like, works out that I shot it and starts following me on Blooming Twitter. I've never popped so hard in all my life. Oh, that's Honestly, I was just like, oh, it's amazing. Um, so they, they saw that, and then I did the um, Five Things You Need to Know About the Villain video with, with Marty, which went down really well. And, they, and I, sent them, I sent them that video, and then I sent each of the guys at Ring of Honor a copy of my book and just said, thank you for the opportunity to film Marty for this. Here's a copy of my book. So next time Marty went out there, he took each of them. So Kevin got one, you know, a couple of the guys up in the head office got one. If there's anything you need, you just need to ask me. And they just approached me for their next UK tour. And said, would you Did mind? they ask Marty for these videos or was it Marty being proactive? Uh, it's a bit of both. A bit of column A, a bit of column B. Okay. To be honest, yeah. It's funny to me now, shooting a ring of on a show and seeing Marty do his entrance, it's still my video on, his, on the Titan. It is. And then when I saw that being played in Japan at the Tokyo Dome, I was just like, I'm done. That's cool. If I stop now, that's fine. How cool is that? You know? Just a, a thing I shot on one camera in a warehouse in Portsmouth is on a, is on a Titan Tron at a pay-per-view. Or is in the Tokyo, Tokyo Dome in front of 40,000 people. You know? And, yeah, so they saw that and they got the book and they're just like, okay, well, look, we'll consider it, blah, blah, blah. And then it just came about that, you know, they just said, oh, would you like to join us for the tour? So I'm like, cool. I turn up at the York Hall, <laughs> got all my kit, and like, there's nothing backstage at the York Hall. There's no space. Not at all. And it's like the Global Wars tour, so you've got half Japanese guys, half the American guys, you know, and then the other percentage, which there isn't a percentage because that's two halves. Um, the UK guys, Shah Samuel's there, and Bully Ray wandering around backstage. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. I mean, so I just did the sh- shooting ring, so I got what I could backstage. Took a, sh- took a shot of Delirious, because I knew his position, and I just showed him the picture there, and he's just like, wow. Okay, tomorrow in Liverpool, we're going to get more guys to be shot by you. And that was just from a shot I took of him on the back of the camera. So, and then, and then I, was, I was like, okay. And even at the end of the show, I'm like, right, so how are we getting to Liverpool? Because I didn't know. They said, oh, you're on the coach. So I jump on the coach next to Skins and fucking Tanahashi there. <laughs> Cody there and Bullet Club there. And I'm like, okay. And again, my, my mouth went super shut then. I'm just like, right, properly sit and be quiet. And um, yeah, I got to Liverpool and then the next show, I shot a few more people, ended up in Edinburgh, shot, you know, shot everyone from Cody down, really. The cool, thi- the cool thing in Edinburgh as well was because I'd shot Colt Cabana before and Colt Cabana was at the Fringe Festival. He only did the Edinburgh show. So he literally just nipped across town to do the show. And um, he was like, James! Then this is right in front of Jay Lethal. You're here we need to do some photos like that and he's like I'm like okay that's cool and then Jay's like what you know this guy and he's like oh my god and he then starts putting Picks you up, yeah. yeah and um, and then Jay's like well I'll go and get changed then <laughs> Jay went and got changed and like, all these guys are getting changed super early um, so yeah that was a real turning point you know and just making sure that they got the images quick and uh, yeah it was a really 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 good experience and that was you know once again that's three years into the project you're having that experience which is I'm utterly humbled by it well, you told me a story earlier on as well. As like, I think it's, uh, I think this is like a real good full circle moment. Here is that you saw uh, a poster in Portsmouth and you thought to yourself, okay, these this re- this poster does not represent the wrestling in which it's it's um, it's advertising. And then the full circle moment would be that you took a photo of Cody Rhodes. And Cody wrote, and they made Cody. of Cody. Do not go in roads. <laughs> wow. Um, and um, 
and they use a uh, they originally do this poster with Cody on and Cody says no you have to use the image that James Musselwhite has done yeah that was uh, that was very humbling um, yeah that was a full circle moment and that, another another one from that tour was like at the end of the last show they're filming a promo backstage where Dalton Castle gets attacked like that and they're like you know, stum- you know they've got the camera and they're trying to work out what door to go through and how this is all going to happen and Dalton just from out, no, leans out through the door and goes Musselwhite where's Musselwhite and I'm like what goes, we need your light you know because there was no light in there and they knew that I had like this big light that would sort of light up to illuminate the scene it's just like just being called by that surname by you know the soon to be Ring of Honor champion to help light a scene was brilliant you know I just it was just it was really really lovely and like those little things mean a lot to me you know so um, going forward then uh, what's what's next I keep thinking it's going to stop I keep thinking I'm going to stop okay. honestly because I, I don't know what's next I don't know what I mean obviously with progress this year you've got a super strong style 16 weekend at Alexandra Palace which is going to be super hot you've got Wembley you know which is going to be an amazing experience to shoot at Wembley. Um, you got everything Ring of Honor are doing, and the whole, you know, the, their whole affiliation with NJPW and Bullet Club, and that's just taken off. And the whole, I keep thinking that this this thing's over its peak, and it doesn't seem to be. It seems to be continually, you know, on an ascent. So I've just got to keep reinventing and keep trying different things. Keep trying to push myself. Ultimately, I love talking about the wrestling project to other photographers. And I think there might be a market to talk about the wrestling project to fans and what I've learned from it and the experiences I've had from it. I just want to keep shooting. I just want to keep shooting interesting people. And wrestling still provides interesting people. I think that's why I can't get out of it. You know, it's the soap opera that never ends. That's the thing. Yeah. The characters never end. They never stop changing. They never stop turning. The story never ends. And it's not only the story of the characters they're portraying in the wrestling ring. It's almost as much about the story of the characters they are as people. That never ends either. I think that's a, uh, a brilliant place to, to finish up. That's why I left a pregnant pause at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, how I usually like to finish these up is, uh, usually I ask wrestlers if they uh, could go back and give themselves advice. If they were to give any wrestlers getting into the business now advice, what would it be? But I guess yours would be uh, anyone, photographer, videographers, anyone who's out there who's got a passion for this, who would want to pursue it. What advice would you either give to your... your, uh, younger self or anyone coming to the business now get a good camera it's a joke it's a joke I get so many emails from people saying oh that's an amazing shot Uh, what camera do you use it's irrelevant it really is Um, I would give myself advice to I wouldn't even give myself advice I wouldn't give myself advice because I'd love I love the, the mistakes I've made have allowed me to develop in the way that I have to a position where I'm very happy with the project. With regards to, I think it's more important to sort of like maybe give some advice to maybe people looking to get into it. And it's just, 
a case of build really good relationships with the people that matter. And ultimately, the people that matter in the first instance are the promoters. Don't try and be a square peg in a round hole. So if the promoter and the promotion doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel like a good fit, don't try and fit within it. Try and find a promotion that you do feel comfortable around. Be patient, take your time, wait for your chance, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Mistakes, and this is everything The Last Jedi is about, which is a movie that I'm really struggling with at the moment. Um, it's a Mistakes are the greatest teacher. Mistakes are the way that you learn. And Paul Heyman says it best when he says uh, experience is the biggest inhibitor of creativity going because you learn with experience what not to do. I am lucky as a man who's rapidly approaching his 40th birthday to once every other weekend surround myself with young talent, young people who are not afraid to make mistakes, who are not afraid to try new ideas, who are not afraid to fail. And that allows me to be creative with them. So don't lose that sight. Don't lose sight of that, of, of, of making mistakes and, you know, being wrong and changing, constantly adapting. That's what, that's the advice I'd give to someone trying to get in. Where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on the Twitter and the Facebook at Y2JimBob. Uh, YouTube is Portrait of a Wrestler. I've just started a new YouTube channel where I'm going back and revisiting old shoots. Which I love, by the way. Do you? Yeah, I do. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. That's cool. I've got loads of content for that uh, coming up, but I'm just uploading a video a week so you can go behind the scenes and see what people were really like. <laughs> uh, and Facebook is Portrait of a Wrestler. Just Google Portrait of a Wrestler. You'll find me. It's been an absolute pleasure, James. A joy. Thank you very much, mate. All the best. How good was that? As I told you, it was an hour and 30 minutes, but it flew by just listening to his his life. And I love how it, it isn't a story about wrestling, but it is because he's a photographer in wrestling, but it's not a wrestler's story. And I was so interested and, and it kind of flew by and... How heartbreaking was the bit where he said he went to a uh, a hospice for children? Oh my god, <sighs> a bit heavy then, but um, yeah, a great, a great, great episode. And after we turned the recorders off, he said to me, "Well, well we didn't even touch on my uh, my cancer," and I was like, "What? What?" Which he said he was kind of glad about. But yeah, he uh, he is a cancer survivor. Uh, on top of all that, and which makes me love him even more. He's a, he's a fighter. He's somebody that goes out and gets what he wants. And he's not afraid to uh, to break down barriers and break down walls. And he's somebody as well, I said this, that uh, there's a lot of people who are really polite and courteous in wrestling. And especially when it comes to photographers, because they know that they're in your house. And we talk about it on the podcast about asking if you can come down. But with James, when we did the shoot, he was very much like, this way, we're doing this, we're doing this. And I loved it because when it comes to these photo shoots, he's in charge. He's a photographer. I've come to him because I know that he has a great eye for it i know that his work is fantastic and why would i waste any of his time and why would he waste any of mine so yeah it was good to have somebody there who's hands-on very direct and an absolute fantastic story and um, no doubt again i said every time but no doubt in about a year's time when bigger bigger things have come on because we had a little chat after after the podcast about other stuff he has coming up but yeah um no doubt i'll have him back on the podcast but yeah big thanks james really appreciate it thanks mate of course, if you have enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to give us a shout out on the social media. I'm at Flash underscore Morgan. Uh, on the Twitter, I am Facebook.com forward slash Flash Morgan Webster. And I am 
Instagram at Flash Morgan Webster on the Instagram. They forgot them people. And if you do want to book me for any upcoming seminars, gigs, or if you do want to explain to me how to get this onto Spotify, because that's something I definitely need to be doing, then drop me an email at flashmorgan at life.co.uk because I'd be very, very grateful if anyone could explain that to me. Um, again, I'm being a bit lazy. I haven't looked. Probably should. Probably will. But if anyone beats me to it before the weekend's up and sends me a really step-by-step easy way to do it, then that would be absolutely great. Really would appreciate that. So that's great. Um, of course, if you do, if you do want to help support this podcast, you can do it in two ways. Either check out our sponsors, which is pinsandknucklesmerchandise.com. Uh, they do everything. You go on the site and have a look. It's very self-explanatory if you're a band, if you're a wrestler, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're anything. Definitely go check that out. They'll beat most quotes. Free delivery, seven days running around. They're amazing. They really are. And uh, say I sent you them. Say, hey, I came here because of Flash Morgan Webster. They'll kick a little bit back for me, which is great then because then you support the podcast. Of course, if you're not a band or a wrestler and none of that applies to you, then uh, maybe jump over to my big cartel, which is morganwebster.bigcartel.com and pick up something from there. 70-odd episodes now. If you haven't done it, this would be a great time to do it. Really appreciate it. Thanks, people. So I guess that wraps up another show. I guess it does. Um, I got a real tickly throat. Last couple of days have been sounding a bit like Mark Andrews. So if you listen to this podcast and thinking, where's Mark Andrews uh, hosting the podcast? He's not. It's me. It's me. Flashpoint Webster. <laughs> but um, yeah, big thanks for uh, coming on the show, James. Really appreciate it. Big thanks to uh, Pins and Knuckles Merchandise. Um, and as always, big thanks to you guys because I say it every week. But uh, you stop me from being a crazy guy at 11 o'clock at night talking into a recorder on his own. So yeah, really appreciate it. Big thanks. Uh, all left to say, I guess, is um, I've been Flashmonger Webster. It's always a pleasure. It's always a treasure. And bye. Thanks for stopping by. Have a good weekend, people. There's a lot to do. Hopefully see you at Eyes on Palace.